Welcome to Reliving My Youth, the show where we look back at pop culture from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. My name is Noel Fogelman. As some of you know, Tears for Fears is my all-time favorite band. My guest today collaborated with them on the Seeds of Love album and toured with them. I'm talking about Alita Adams. She did vocals on Woman in Chains, Badman's Song. Some say it was Kurt and Roland who discovered Alita in that Kansas City hotel bar, but that's not the case. They were just the ones who kept their promises. We talk about her time in the band. She was there when the band broke up. We also chat about her latest release, Third Set, that came out this year. Here's my conversation with Alita. And help me relive my youth today is Alita Adams. Alita, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, uh, before we talk about how you started and your time with Tears for Fears, I just want to talk about your, your new album, uh, Third Set, that came out this year. Um, it's really good. I absolutely love it. And can you just talk about how you came up with the title and, more importantly, some of the songs you decided to record? Well, um, we uh, I realized that it was really time for me to do uh, another record. What we were going to do was to try to record a live uh, one of one of our shows live and we were um running into all sorts of obstacles you know it was a great show great night except there was a hum all night or great show great night but the piano quit playing you know the keyboard quit playing something would always happen and so i went oh wow we were trying all sorts of things and and I said, well, if we're going to do this live, let's just go into the studio and cut it. Just put the songs down. And so in two and a half days, we went into the studio and put these songs down. And uh, it would be a chance for us to just, you know, have something else out for our, our fans. Um, the, the name of the, the, of the CD uh, came from my remembering the old days when I used to play the clubs. And uh, I used to do three shows a night, three one-hour shows a night, six nights a week. Wow. And I'd do that for a lot of, uh, well, about anywhere from 45 to 50 weeks out of the year. That was a lot. Yeah. And you could end up being kind of dulled. Your senses are all dulled unless you really change things up and, and have some fun in that. And, you know, usually you try to cater to the audience the songs that they want. And I did that in the first two sets, but the third set became the musician's set. And we would choose whatever we want and play the songs however we wanted. And it it was something to look forward to. And so this CD is built around that idea that I wasn't trying to make hit singles or anything like that. And we wouldn't try to keep the songs at 2 minutes and 33 seconds for a radio play because I didn't expect to get any radio play. I wanted this to be a nice little gift for my audience that they could feel like they were taking the show home with them. And um, that's how we ended up doing that and doing songs that I just wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, look at the length of some of these songs. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's all right with me. Yeah, nine minutes. I mean, and, and they're, they're all treats. I mean, you know, it's it's like the quality of the song. It doesn't matter how long it is. Mm-hmm. A good song is a good song no matter how long the length is. No one thinks about the length of the song when you're singing it live, and I did what what we usually do when we're right. performing. 
You know, it's about the, the mood. It's about going on a, um, an emotional journey, you know, and, and including the audience in that. And it takes time to think. You know, when you do some of these songs, songs people sit there and in the clubs they may have a drink in their hand or, or something or other, you know, and they'll... And it just takes time to meditate on it, to think and to reflect and to be inspired and to get involved. And, you know, when you're really feeling that music, I remember the old days, you know. And and funny, nobody talks about time when they listen to jazz music. No one ever says, (laughs) well, I don't know, this is really breaking the six-minute mark. Right. They never say that. And why they say that by... You know, about some of these songs, I just don't understand. Uh, it's about the experience, so uh, that's what we wanted to do. Yeah, and it's it's a great, great CD. Uh, I love the version of Rhythm of Life. That's one of my favorite songs <laughs> by you. It's, I, it's great. I, I like the updated version of it. And uh, uh, Thank you. Yeah, no problem. So I, I know you're originally from Washington State, correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah, so how did you end up in Kansas City? Performing um, at a it, back in those days, there was a uh, the chain of uh, Westons used to be called Western International, and they shortened the name to Weston. Yes. But before they shortened the name, I was at their headquarters in Seattle, performing um, as a soloist, just me and a piano, and uh, the head one of the uh, main F&B, food and beverage managers or general managers from the Kansas City division heard me while I was singing. This was way back in 1970, well, I guess it would have been 74. And um, and he said, well, wow, we really enjoyed you. Would you like to come to Kansas City? And I said, oh, sure. You know, I've never been to Kansas City because uh, being from Washington and um, and so they invited me back there, and it it, start, it became a, at first it was once a year, and then it was twice a year, and it was, you know, six weeks at a time, and then, you know, it ended up being a, a steady gig for a long time, and uh, that's how it got going. Yeah, now, I know a lot of people, you know, say, you know, even before, like, including myself way back when, that... Tears for Fears discovered you, you know, this and that, and they're one of my favorite bands, but you were discovered a lot by a lot of different talented people, just a lot of broken promises, correct? Yeah, the interesting thing is that coming to Kansas City exposed me to a lot of a lot of people because it's right in the center of the country, and usually everybody comes through here. There are a lot of ball players that uh, came through and... uh, uh, and a lot of, uh, uh, obviously, all the big bands and stuff comes through, they come through Kansas City. Uh, and uh, this used to be a, a big jazz town, and so there's a lot of musical uh, history and music culture here in the Kansas City area. And so uh, I would always play the Western Crown Center and people would always stay there when they were coming through town, and there were always conventions. And, oh, people like um, George Benson heard me, and he tried for three years to wow. get me a deal with Warner Brother Jazz, Warner Brothers Jazz Music. 
and uh, nothing happened with that. And then the group, I don't know if you remember a group like this. You may be too young, but there was a rock group called Yes. Oh, yeah, of course. And yeah. they would always uh, stay in the hotel at where I was playing, and they tried to get me a deal with uh, Atlantic Records with, through Ahmet Erdogan. They, he, they brought Ahmet Erdogan in to listen to me, and he flew me to New York, and I did, and that was about 77 or so, 77 or 78. And uh, Ahmed flew me, flew me to uh, New York, and I auditioned for him, but it wasn't enough to get a deal done. You know, it's so funny and divine providence, whatever. Uh, when there's something that's in store for you, I, I think as my belief is God wanted me to be discovered in a particular way. It's not that people never heard me, because a lot of people did. Right. But the right people hurt me who could do something about it. And it's interesting that the Americans couldn't hear it, <laughs> but the British, British did. did. Yeah. And so, so and you get to my next point. Now, uh, Roland Osball and Kurt Smith, they come to Kansas City, they're on tour, but they, they don't immediately sign or, or bring you aboard, right? It's two years later, they just come to hear you. They came to hear me that first time because they were staying in the hotel. And after their show was over, they, you know, paid the cover charge and came in and listened and were moved to tears. Mm. And uh, I didn't meet them because I, uh, you know, I think I remember John, uh, who was my drummer and, and now is my husband, of course, um, coming to me and saying, you know, Tears for Fears is in the audience, but I mean, it was like, nice. Well, we <laughs> always had a lot of people in the audience, and I never bothered them, because they just wanted, you know, relax. Yeah, unwind. Entertain. Yeah. And I thought, you know, a British pop rock group, what are they going to do for me? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and when they thought back about it, and they, they had something to offer, and two years later, they hunted me down, literally, wow. um, calling the hotel and getting a hold of the guy who was booking me at the time, and he gave them my home number. And so they called me directly, and I thought, yeah, sounds like a British accent. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's real. But more than that, they came to see me. I mean, they flew from Europe and came to where I live. And uh, and for three days, they stayed there, and we hung out during the day, because I still had gigs at night. Right. And they followed me to my gig wow. and would sit there. And because my audience was older at that time, they weren't really bothered by people, you know, interrupting them. They just enjoyed <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, their album Seeds of Love was so different than their first two albums, and they had you do just more than Woman in Chains. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I won't forget that one, because uh, I thought that I was coming to sing one song, and I didn't know that they wanted me to play on it as well, and I thought, okay, well, great, sure, I'll do it. And uh, they had an idea, but they weren't sure how they were going to, you know, in which order things were going to be done. So we were playing this live. It was done live. Uh, and uh, and we'd go up with everybody there and they'd say, okay, this time we're going to start with the intro, and then we're going to go into a chorus, and then we'll do a verse, and then we'll do a chorus, and we'll do a little, uh, uh, another little, you know, solo thing in there, and then and we try that. And they go, okay, this time we're going to start with the intro, and we're going to go right into a verse, and then we're going to go into, and, and we try that. And they go, okay, this time, and it was so many times that Carol Steele, who was playing percussion, said, I, I, I can't remember which order things are in anymore. <laughs> And uh, then they decided to interject some solos in there, and they they would just suddenly call out and go, Tino! Tino would just <laughs> didn't look at them. <laughs> they'd call out somebody else's name, and then you go, Oida! You know, and we never knew where that was going to happen until they got the kind of take and then the kind of idea that they wanted to expand on, and that's how we ended up doing that. And when they yelled my name for a solo, I'm like, I'm not a piano soloist. I do chords and I do my thing and I'll do the only thing I know. And so um, I just said, well, this is what I would play at this point. And it was basically a jam session. So, uh, and it, it tickled me when Keyboard Magazine tried to uh, transcribe the solo and said that uh, perhaps I had been inspired by Thelonious Monk. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what a Thelonious Monk is. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great experience.
to bad man's song and there's a line in the song that says um here's to the boys back in 628 i'm imagining it's probably either a hotel room number or apartment number that was a hotel room number okay and apparently the guys had been staying in a place where uh they heard some other people laughing and talking about them saying some things about them so we never forget things like that i remember that happened to me as a high school person and we went to contest and uh, our singing group, our choir went to contest and uh, I went to the ladies room in between uh, uh, performances and I heard uh, some of the, when I was in the stall I heard some of the, the girls talking about uh, the black girl in the, in the Davis choir. <laughs> I stayed until the, in the stall until they were gone. <laughs> <laughs> but it happens, you know. Um, yeah, we, uh, being performers, we're, we we kind of have to put ourselves out there on the line. And, you know, people are always talking about you in one way or the other. Right. Now, do you read your reviews at all? Not much. Smart. No. <laughs> I try not to. I, they, 
you know, I don't want to be affected by it. Right. Um, if I'm doing something good, then let me do what I do and do it uh, in an honest, authentic way and not contrived. Uh, if I do something, if I keep doing something that people don't like, y you kind of find out about that because someone's going to speak up and uh, either my manager will speak up or my husband will speak up or my tour manager right. will speak up or somebody will say, okay, this isn't working and then you have to change things. Yeah, there's definitely enough people that, that have your back that you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> right, uh, yeah, I just, I, I just... I, I appreciate when uh, people really appreciate you. I'm not, um, I'm not afraid of criticism, um, but I don't want to be affected too much by uh, li living up to someone else's ideals. I, I just want to stay on the straight path. Right, and that's smart. Now, Seeds of Love comes out, you guys tour, and... It was the first time I saw Tia Shafir's. It was 1990, and it was in uh, Jones Beach, New York, so it was right on the water. Oh, and, I remember that. Yeah, and I remember uh, Michael Penn opened up. So mm -hmm. he, you know, And then uh, you came on first and did a beautiful rendition of I Believe. You just came yeah. out right on the piano. Oh, my God. It was, it was, no offense to them, it was better than their version. <laughs> And then, yeah, then the band walked on, and I think they started with Everybody Wants to Rule the World, but it was it was such a good song. I remember that to this day, and I just remember that. Such a fantastic concert. That was so exciting, and it was weird to me. I remember when I first started doing the show, and uh, it took me a few shows before I realized why people were screaming and hollering.
know, I mean, I've, I've been used to performing, but my audiences didn't usually sound like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> they didn't scream. Uh, uh, they they talked back to me, but it was <laughs> a different culture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was fun, you know, and it, I remember in Brazil, you would have thought it was the second coming of the Beatles. Right. Uh, the way people reacted, and uh, I, I just, I'm so thankful that the guys were so generous with the, the stage and allowing me to perform. Right. Now, like, during that tour, that was kind of the end for them for a little while. You kind of had a, you know, front row seat to that. What was that like? It was very interesting. You know, it's all about growth, and... Uh, the guys had been together for a very long time, and uh, you know when you're traveling, doing tours and stuff, you live very closely together. I mean, close quarters. Um, and touring around, you spend a lot of time on the bus, um, on ground transportation, a lot of time together, and in the dressing rooms. And you try to have your own life and and your own thoughts and so forth. And it's really difficult uh, if you've grown up. Together, um, the, the business kind of gets in the way, and then each person has their own idea of what is what their creativity, you know, the, which direction they want to go. And I think, uh, and then with all of the outside coming in, and that is the instant judgment of performance with people and articles, you know, screaming, this person, that was, you know, Roland, Kurt, Roland, Kurt, you know, oh, blah, blah, blah. It, it can get into your head, which is why I said I don't read all of the articles and stuff. Right. Uh, I like to perform and say thank you and then realize that, guess what, you get to start again <laughs> all over from scratch. Right. And uh, so... Uh, the problem with life is learning how to tame the egos, and I, I think that that probably became a, a problem for the guys. L learning to deal with that, learning to deal with the fame that they had, which was, oh, so ginormous, you know. It was huge. And uh, sometimes they just had difficulty dealing with it. But from the seat where I sat, they were both absolutely wonderful to me and to the rest of the players. And, um, uh, you know, they went through a struggle, had a little bit of growing up to do. And it happened around, you know, when, when they're in their 30s. That, that's about right. You're still trying to manage and manipulate, navigate um, who you are and how you want your life to, to be, you know, and I think Kurt was dealing with marriage situation at the same time, and, you know, both of them were married, and they had families, and it's just, it's just a lot to deal with at that time, so, uh, and a little bit stressful for us, because you almost had to choose which side you were going to sit on, which part of the bus you were going to sit in. I sat in the middle. Smart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I sat in the middle, and, uh, and, and you know, but uh, I saw 
don't know, you know, if, if people are wondering if there were fights and things, there were none that I saw. Right. It wasn't that they're, they're too intelligent for that. It wasn't that sort of thing. You know, you can hear about that with some some bands that, oh, wow, they took it out on the stage and, oh, they were duking it up in the in the dressing rooms. Well, that sort of thing never happened. It was more uh, an intellectual <laughs> <laughs> Thing, but we felt it, you know, we felt the tension. But other than that, when it was time to perform, wow, we had a blast. Right, and yeah, it definitely looked like you. they did. Um, so then when they broke up and Roland kept the name, you actually performed again on uh, his, I think, second quote-unquote solo Tears for Fears album with uh, Me and My Big Art Ideas. Yeah, I was asked to do a little bit, and... Um uh, I did, and I was proud to do that. I was very happy to do that because it was just a little bitty ditty, but um, I, I love them. I think they're fantastic. I performed a surprise, just spontaneous uh, performance when they came to Kansas City some years ago, yeah. and I was sitting in the audience. So I got to live out my dream. <laughs> you know, every singer has that dream. I was sitting in the audience, and and for the encore, the band asked me to come up and right. sing with them. <laughs> and back then, I could still sing Woman in Chains. I can't sing it these days, but it was fantastic. And it was here in the, the city where I live and the right. city where they discovered me. So it couldn't have been more perfect than that. Right. I'm sure you still can sing that song, Don't Sell Yourself oh, Short. No. <laughs> yeah, I... The, I think it was back in 1993 after, you know, he toured, you know, by himself with with the name. Uh, they performed Woman in Chains, and the backup singer who did it did a really good job, but the crowd just wasn't feeling it. And I, and you can see Roland kind of, like, gesturing to the crowd, you know, make some noise, make some noise. But they, I think they all realized that no one can sing that but Alita Adams. Yeah, well, well uh, I, uh, I find that that is one of my all-time classic favorites and uh, I think Roland wrote a very beautiful song in it and even the sound of that record will just, it was just amazing. I, I, it always sounds so fresh and uh, I'm amazed by it. I, from time to time I do look on YouTube and remember that. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that looked so easy back then. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, now he, he uh, co-wrote uh, Rhythm of Life for you, right? Yes, actually, that was one of the songs that they had planned to be on that Sowing the Seeds of Love album. Um, and uh, But he had decided uh, that to take it off, and he gave it to me because he, he said that rhythm didn't have enough rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, and it felt good on my voice. I, you know, when I hear the record now, I don't, you know, I, I can't explain it. He gets a sound that no one else does. It just, it's like a warm blanket, and it just, everything just fits so well to my voice. So that one was meant for me. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a fabulous song, but both versions are are absolutely great. Now, after that, you kind of released your, I guess, your debut album, quote-unquote, quote, quote, I guess. Yeah, uh, Circle of One. Right, and that, that took off. Um, just talk a little bit about, about that album. 
You know, it's so funny. Uh, when you worked in, I had 17 professional years before I got that break. And uh, what we all call the, the hungry years, you mm. know. And um, you, you, I got to a place to where it's not that I wasn't hoping anymore. I just, my expectations were not the, the way they used to be, you know, when I was first starting out. Uh, and so I approached everything like, well, I don't know how long this is going to last, but we'll enjoy this moment. And that's kind of how we did the record. You know, well, what else have you got? Well, um, I got a song I wrote called Circle One because, you know, the company sent me to L.A. I did not live in L.A. They sent me to L.A., uh, not my favorite city. <laughs> it's a very lonely city as far as I'm concerned with all those people, all those cars, all the activity. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, it doesn't give you that cuddly feeling. Uh, and so I ended up writing Circle of One because instead of being surrounded by a circle of friends, it, it was just me. And I wrote Circle of One. So I said to Roland, well, I got Circle of One, and I've got a couple of songs that I've written, and then there is a song I'd like to record that I've been singing, which is Brenda Russell's Get Here. Right. And through the, you know, the... The interesting thing was during the tour, um, after I had recorded the song, before the record came out, in the uh, sound checks when we went on tour, the crew would always ask me to sing Get Here. That was my warm-up song. And uh, I was happy to do so. And I guess we could have seen, you know, written on the wall that it was a hit, but I did not take that for granted. You can reach me by railway You can reach me by trailway You can reach me on an airplane You can reach me with your mind You can reach me by caravan Cross the desert like an errand man I don't care how you get here, just get here if you can. You can reach me by a sailboat, climb a tree and swing rope to rope. Take a sled and slide down slow into these arms of mine. You can jump on a speedy coat. Cross the border in a blaze of hope. I don't care how you get here, just get here if you can. There are hills and mountains, sweet us, always something to get over. If I
I was singing what I knew and then singing what I felt. I wanted it to be real. And, you know, I thought that we would sell some records to my family, to Roland's family, <laughs> <laughs> to a couple of friends back, you know, here in Kansas City. Right. And <laughs> because up until then, you know, a lot of people heard me, but they didn't get it. Right. You know, and I'll have to say, I'm not sure if the British got it, <laughs> if the, you know, at the record company, because Roland told the A&R guy, Dave Bates, he, he said, you know, Alita's going to get a lot of attention, There's gonna, she's going to get a lot of offers when this record comes out, you'd be smart to be the first to ask her to join the company. And uh, he said, well, yeah, but how do we market her? And Roland said, just let her sing. Yeah. So that's been the problem. And it, I, I admit it's a different sound, and it's, uh, you know, it's very dis- uh, distinctive, the, the, my voice. In fact, I've had people recognize me not by looking at me, but by hearing me talk. Right. <laughs> <laughs> sound and uh, and I guess you know at a time where a lot of people were wanting to sign artists that sound like instant pop hits you know that was where the big money was so um, I guess my voice was so thick and so rich sounding it wasn't you know what they were looking for but uh, I'm grateful yeah no that that was a that was also a fantastic CD. I remember when I saw you guys in 1990, uh, you performed, they got to sing my song during the show. Yes. Yeah. And that I, was another one that, you know, I was bringing up all the stuff I had that I had written and that I had been performing for years. And, you know, those songs resonate. Alita, thank you for a few minutes today. I really appreciate it. And best of luck with everything. Thank you so much, Noel. Thank you very much. Special thanks to Alita Adams for joining us today. You can check out her website, alitaadams.com. You can follow me on Twitter at the first Noel 19 Be sure to like the page for Living My Youth on Facebook. You can rate and review the show on iTunes. Please keep the reviews coming. A special thanks to everyone who's listening today. I can't do it without you guys. And be on the lookout for another episode of the Living My Youth real soon.